see you all here today. If you'll notice on the back of your bulletin, we have some color pictures from the little harvest party that we had, the trunk or treat. Uh, it was quite well attended and it was definitely a good time had by everybody. Thanks for those who participated and we hope to do it again next year as well. Um, if you haven't done a nice bulletin cover. Sammy's on here this week, my little boy Sammy, uh, with his drawing. But if you'd like to have a drawing put on the front of the bulletin, Cheryl's been doing that uh, with some of the kids' drawings. And I'm sure she would take adult drawings too. So um, it's just fun to do something that's not mass-produced and that the kids are doing. Um, it's really, really a fun way to do that. If you turn on the inside of your bulletin, uh, just some good reminders there. Greg will be preaching this month, and then uh, my dad will be doing December. 
Um, there's a missions committee meeting after the morning service and a church board meeting at 6.30 p.m. So church board meeting tonight is 6.30. November 7th is election day, so make sure you get out and vote there. And then November 11th is uh, Veterans Day. November 12th, Fall Harvest Dinner after the morning service. Everybody's welcome. Bring something delicious and uh, I'll eat it. That'll be great. Um, yeah, the food pantry is still bringing uh, different foods for the Thanksgiving season. Uh, you can see that people have already started donating. There's a little basket out there with an arrow pointing directly to it. You can't miss it. And also, we're still doing the Christmas shoe boxes. You can see those if you walk out to the foyer in the back right. Um, so if you haven't filled up one of those, it's a great opportunity for you and your kids to uh, give to people in need. Any other announcements that need to be made this morning? Yep, go ahead. On behalf of the trustees, I'd like to thank you for everybody that's helped. Uh, yesterday was a pretty good turnout for the work that we got. Eve Frost cleaned out. We got leaves blown and cake fall away. And, um, we got a lot of stuff taken care of yesterday, so thank you. Awesome. Yeah, and Hunter's back here. That's awesome. Surgery was successful or whatever had to be done was successful. Awesome. Yeah, it's great to see God answer prayers this way. Let's pray together. Lord God, we just thank you for the day that you have made. We thank you for answers to prayer. We thank you uh, that we can trust you no matter what. Most of all, we thank you for your son and this opportunity we have this morning to praise you and to worship you for all that you have done for us. Uh, even though we don't deserve it. In Christ's name, amen. I had an announcement, but since I get up next, I didn't figure I'd interrupt anything else. Just for my group of Bible study, I am in the hospital on Tuesday, so we don't have Bible study. I forgot to say that last time we met, so I needed to make sure that got taken care of. Okay, let's turn our hymn books to 619. Maybe we should stand up for 619. Stand up, stand up for Jesus. Remember, you don't have to stand up if you... Stand in his 
the flesh will fail you. Ye dare not trust your own. Put on the gospel armor. Each piece put on with prayer. Where duty calls or danger, be never wanting there. Stand up, stand up for Jesus. The strife will not be long. This day the noise of battle, the next a victor's song. To him that overcometh, a crown of joy shall be. He with the King of glory shall reign eternally. So we will be continuing in our study of 2 Peter today. We'll be looking at the beginning of chapter 2. So the scripture reading is going to be the first two chapters of 2 Peter to, to get them fresh in your mind. <clears throat> Simeon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours, by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when we, he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased." 
we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him in the holy mount, on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention, as to a lamp shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly, if by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly, and if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked. For as that righteous man lived among them, day after day he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment, and especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority. Bold and willful, they do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones, whereas angels, though greater in might and power, do not pronounce a blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord. But these, like irrational creatures, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed, blaspheming about matters of which they are ignorant, will also be destroyed in their destruction, suffering wrong as the wage for their wrongdoing. They count it pleasure to revel in daytime. They are blots and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions while they feast with you. They have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. They entice unsteady souls. They have hearts trained in greed, accursed children. Forsaking the right way, they have gone astray. They have followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved gain from wrongdoing, but was rebuked for his own transgression. A speechless donkey spoke with human voice <clears throat> and restrained the prophet's madness. These are waterless springs and mists driven by a storm. For them, the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. For speaking loud boasts of folly, they entice by sensual passions of the flesh those who are barely escaping from those who live in air. They promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. For if, after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, the last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than, after knowing it, to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. What the true proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to its own vomit, 
in the cell, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. Okay, we're going to sing song number 628. This one kind of moves on. Make sure you keep your eyes on the words or, or you'll lose in the process. The fight is on. <laughs> The fight is on, the trumpet sound is ringing out, the cry to arms is heard afar and near. The Lord of hosts is marching up to victory, the triumph of the Christ will soon appear. The fight is on, O oh Christian soldier, and face to face is torn away. With armor gleaming and trumpets streaming, they're right and wrong engaged today. The fight is on, but be not weary. Be strong and in his might hold fast. If God before us, his manner o'er us, we'll sing the victor's song at last. The fight is on, arouse you soldiers, brave and true, Jehovah leads, and victory will assure. Go buckle on, the armor God has given you, and in his strength, unto the end endure. The fight is on, O oh Christian soldier, and face to face in stern array, with armor gleaming. In a few minutes while we sing praise songs, you'll get the opportunity to give thanks. That's our theme all through November, so that gives you a chance to give testimony and thanks to the Lord. And uh, right now, if there are any prayer requests, just before we go to prayer. We're thankful for Hunter being back and healing, and Hannah being back and healing, we think. They... they used a excavator to take care of her so but um 
Terry Bullock's recovering. He had double hernia surgery on Friday. Okay, good. Uh, so keep praying for people that are in and out of the hospital, getting things done, and people who are sick. You know, keep track of people and, and pray for them. Let's have a word of prayer. Gracious Father, you are an amazing God. We're grateful that you love us and that you know everything about us. You know all our needs, our sicknesses, the sufferings, but you want to hear from us. You want us to come to you and pray and, and ask for your work in our lives and in other people's lives. And, and we do that, Lord. Thankful to you for what you've done. Thankful for the surgery going well for Hannah and, and uh, the healing that still has to take place, but that she's improving. For Hunter and uh, uh, getting rid of those kidney stones so that he can function properly. And Lord, we, we are grateful for the surgery that was done to Terry Woollett and that it, that all went smoothly. And Lord, there are many other things that are st still healing and taking place. And we're grateful that you know all of these and that you are working on our behalf. We thank you for the joy you give us in knowing you and in drawing close to you, and we ask that as we come to you in prayer today, you would help us to stay focused from our hearts of love for you, and to hear your word, and to sing praises to you, and to give praises that others can hear from us, that we might all rejoice in, and offer praise to you as we go through this service, that as a family we would rejoice together, and we'll praise you for that in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, we're going to sing our worship songs. We'll stand, and as you get opportunity, you will get to give praise. We're going to start with, Oh, Praise the Name. Make sure they stand right. my mind to Calvary, where Jesus fled and died for me. I see his wounds, his hands, his feet, my Savior on the cursed tree. His body bound and drenched in tears, they laid him down. Where is your name? 
this morning for some reason, so hopefully I get through it, but a long time ago, you know, um, I had an aneurysm, didn't know it, got dizzy, just having some weird effects, and anyways, unrelated to that, they, they, the dizziness, they found my aneurysm, took care of that, you know, before it was too late, and so that was an accident that brought thankfulness. And then I fell here again a little bit ago, tore my hamstring. But because of my aneurysm and because of they thought I broke my hip, they took a CAT scan from here to here. And because of that, um, they found I have a tumor on my liver. But I don't think they would have found that for a long time if um, I didn't have an accident. <laughs> so I know it's, um, I keep telling my doctors, you know, God sends blessings. Thankfully, I didn't have to break my hip to do it. But, um, so, any more accidents, I hope I don't find anything else, but, but if you'll um, pray for us, you know, Tom's going through some stuff, and then I'm going to Roswell, setting up a Roswell appointment for me to come up, but, um, again, sometimes things that we see as 
trauma and not good benefit us in many ways. And that to me is just a sign that, you know, God uses different things to find different things. And, and so I'm thankful for, thankful for that. Okay, we're going to sing Give Thanks, and then you get another chance to give some praises. So let's sing the song Give Thanks. Thanks to the Lord. It's quiet in here. I want to give thanks for being able to be in here and breathe for years. I sat in the back because I couldn't breathe in the sanctuary. And out of other places I couldn't. And now when I can breathe, I can actually sing a little bit. And that's like really, and so, so you don't have those things. You take it so for granted. Amen. Anybody else? We got one more song, and you'll have one more opportunity. We're going to sing the song Gratitude. Yeah. 
every song must end, and you never do. So I throw up my hands, praise you again and again, cause all that I have is an
every one of us is here in this country to just be able to come here on a Sunday and worship. <coughs> never, ever forget that. We should be mindful every time when we're about to do that. We can do it without anyone worrying about somebody busting in that door. Lord has granted us great freedom. Anybody else? To go along with that, we still live in a place where we can elect who we want to lead us. So let's get out there. Yes. Okay. Let's have a word of prayer and Greg will come and preach. Gracious Father, we're thankful for this time of praise and thanksgiving. We're reminded over and over again of what great blessings we have because of your love for us. Thank you for bringing us into your family, for the joy of being together to, to sing together praises to you, to listen to your word and let your word sink into our heart and change our lives. We just want to praise you for it because of your son and in his name. Amen. Those ages four to seven dismissed to junior church? Oh, not today. Clipboards today, nobody's dismissed. They don't, God told me these things before I announce. Well, if you turn with me to 2 Peter, we're going to be looking at chapter 2 this week. I'm specifically looking at the first three verses of chapter 2 of 2 Peter. My attempt to, to pick up where, <clears throat> where Josh left off. So, one thing I want to avoid doing as we enter into the second chapter is to just jump in and say, all right, chapter two, and remove it from the context of the first chapter. We, we can have a tendency to do that sometimes when we, we're reading our, the scriptures and you come across the chapter and you say, it's a new chapter, it's a new thought. But often those authors are carrying the thought into the next chapter. And it's good to keep in mind that the verse numbers, the chapter numbers, the little headings you have above your chapters are not a part of the inspired text. They are very useful tools that we have, and it is a blessing to have them. But it can also at times become a distraction that can cause us to, to separate texts that are not intended to be separated. So I want to I begin our study in chapter 2 of 2 Peter by refreshing your memory on the end of chapter 1 of 2 Peter. So that when, as you enter into chapter 2, those things, hopefully, are on your mind. And you can tie them together. But some reminders before we even refresh on the end of chapter 1. So who is the audience? of 
the book of Second Peter, right? He says in chapter 1, verse 1 of Second Peter, he says, This is to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. So this is written to, to Christians, not necessarily a specific group of people, but to Christians in general at that time. And this was written, he gave us another clue that I thought was interesting, but in verse 14 of chapter 1, he said, Since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. So this would appear that this is getting towards the end of Peter's life when he is writing this. So to help us not separate chapter 1 from chapter 2, I wanted to hit some points at the end of chapter 1 there. So in verses 16 and 18, that's sort of, he says there, for we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice born from heaven, for we were with him on that holy mountain. That is, a, as Josh was teaching, that is a description of the transfiguration. Peter was present there. And how amazing, how wonderful, what an experience that was for him to see Christ receive honor and glory from God the Father. And he heard God the Father speak. You know, he said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And with that reminder, verse 16, where he began that, he was saying that this is not a cleverly devised myth. He was there. He saw it happen. This is the account, right? So he gives that, this is my experience. But then he continues from there. He caps the retelling of that experience by, in verse 19, he says, but we, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place. So he says, I have seen Christ transfigured. I heard God the Father speak to him. But we have a better thing. You have the scriptures. That is what he's pointing towards. So he is placing the scriptures above that experience. And that does not devalue the experience of Peter at the transfiguration. But rather it says the scriptures are even better than that experience. You have God's word. How amazing. How wonderful. How valuable. And he knows... And we know Jeremiah 17.9 is a verse that should be familiar to all of you, where it says, The heart is deceitful above all things, and desperately sick. Who can understand it? So if, if experience is your guide, be warned. Scripture tells us your heart can be deceitful. You can have an experience, and you can interpret it very wrongly. The scriptures we have revealed as God's word. They can be interpreted wrongly, but you have them in writing. It is right there. It is plain. That is the, the great value, and that is the, the standard by which we judge all things. 
So Peter's pointing the reader to God's word as the standard. So even the experience that Peter has has to be run through the filter of scripture. That standard, that is the thing that he, you should be going back to. So he, he continues after that. The, here's this experience. We have an even better thing. And then he goes in, verse 20 and 21, say, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So even the Scriptures that we have, that we know men wrote, even those writings, Peter is reminding us, those are inspired by God. Those are of the Holy Spirit. They, these men are used by the Holy Spirit to write these things. You see the character, and it is not some automatic writing thing where they are taken over by the Holy Spirit because you see, you see the character of the authors in their writings. But at the same time that they are writing, it is inspired by the Holy Spirit, making it God's word. <clears throat> so what he's saying is fallible man... Those sinful men who wrote the Bible, they're fallible. They're not the source of the prophecy. Rather, the Holy Spirit is. The authority of scriptures derived from the source of those scriptures, which is ultimately God. While men wrote it, it is ultimately God who is responsible for it. And so again, we do not rely on our own experience or on the experiences of others to determine what truth is or what God would have us to do. We have the word of God for that. So that is what I want you to keep in mind from the end of chapter one. You have Peter's recalling this experience he had, and he's saying this experience was amazing. We have the word of God. It is even better. And the word of God is inspired by God. Even though men wrote it, God is the author. And then he continues there into chapter 2. And I'm, I'm going to be looking at the first three verses today. But he continues on and says, But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. So you have... He almost sets up this contrast from the end of the first chapter into the second chapter. Right? I keep referring to chapters after I told you the chapters don't pay any attention to them. But he's setting up this contrast. Right? We have no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. The, word, the Scriptures are the inspired word of God. And then he says, but false prophets also arose among the people. Right? So when you rely on experience, you open yourself up to falseness. So even the Israelites, God's chosen people, 
were subject to false prophets. That's what he's saying. But false prophets also arose among the people. He's pointing back to the Old Testament scriptures. So I wanted to look at a few examples of false prophets from the Old Testament. And if you remember, if you were paying attention when I read those first two chapters earlier, you have Balaam is mentioned in verse 15 of chapter 2 of 2 Peter. Um, so the account of Balaam is from Numbers 22 and 24. And some of the, what you most likely are going to remember from Balaam is Balaam's donkey, right? You have this instance of the donkey who speaks. That's what we always, that's the thing that sticks in our mind with Balaam is the donkey who spoke. I'm not going to read chapters 22 and 23 of Numbers, but that's where this account is from. To give you the rundown of Balaam, is Balaam's a prophet. Balaam is not a righteous prophet. Balaam's a prophet for hire. He's like, you pay me enough money, I'll say what you want me to say, right? And so you have the Israelites are traveling through the desert and they are putting the fear of God. They're in the plains of Moab, it says. And Moab was in great dread of the people because they were many, it says in verse 3 of chapter 22. So then these other nations that are afraid when they see Israel go to Balaam and say, prophesy against these people for us. And yet God comes to Balaam and says, no, don't do this. And ultimately... After some back and forth, Balaam goes along with them. He's like, okay, well, I can't do this, but I'll go with you anyways. And the funny part is they keep asking Balaam, like, prophesy against them, prophesy against them. And every time he prophesies, he prophesies good things for Israel and destruction for the people who, want to, who are intending to hire him, who want him to speak against the Israelites. And this just continues on. Um, and so the, it's funny because even though Balaam is like a prophet for hire, he is like, he is a false prophet by definition. He's like, hey, you pay me enough money, I'll, I'll say bad things about people that are going to happen. Um, but even though that is his MO, that is the way he operates, God intervenes in this situation and says no. You're going to do what I tell you. So Balaam is an example of a false prophet, but he would be a false prophet who God takes control over and uses him for his means. God restrains him. He only allows him to prophesy blessing on Israel and curses on their enemies. And then another example is Jeremiah. Jeremiah 6, verses 13 and 14. This just gives us like an overview of, of this account of the false prophets. Jeremiah is a prophet 
who is prophesying, Israel, you are not walking with God. You're going to pay the price for it. That's like the short and simple of it. In verses 13 and 14 in chapter 6, it says, For from the least to the greatest of them, everyone is greedy for unjust gain. And from prophet to priest, everyone deals falsely. They have healed the wound of my people lightly, saying, Peace, peace, when there is no peace. So Jeremiah is a prophet at this time, but he's not the only one who is prophesying. He's not the only one who is telling Israel, hey, this is what's going to happen. But there are lots of other prophets who are saying, who it says they deal falsely. It says they have healed the wound of my people lightly. It says they say peace, peace, when there is no peace. They say everything's going to be okay. Great things are going to happen. You don't have to, you don't have to change things. Just... You're going to be great. You're the Israelites. You're God's chosen people. You'll be fine. And Jeremiah is saying, no, that's not the message from God. That is a lie. That is false. You say peace, peace, when there is no peace. More specifically, an instance in Jeremiah chapter 28. You have here the account of Hananiah, the false prophet. So you have they're making once again false prophecies. So he says in 20, Jeremiah 28 verse 11 it says and Hananiah spoke in the presence of all the people saying thus says the Lord even so will I break the yoke of Nebuchadnezzar king of Babylon from the neck of all the nations within two years. It says, but Jeremiah the prophet went his way. So you have this instance of Hananiah. So God is going to use Babylon to judge Israel. They're going to be taken into captivity. That should be fairly common knowledge. And here you have Hananiah in the midst of this coming judgment saying, no, no, no. Within the next two years, God's going to break this. Meanwhile, Jeremiah's been prophesying for, for a while. You're under judgment, and the Babylonians are going to be used against you. And to like quickly jump to the conclusion of that, you have verse 17 of that chapter says, In that same year, in the seventh month, the prophet Hananiah died. So this false prophet Hananiah is speaking lies of what will happen, and he re receives the penalty for his false prophecy. As you, if you study back into God's law, the law said that a false prophet whose prophecy did not come true was to be put to death. And here you see that happens with Hananiah. He receives that. Another instance that is a bit more, I guess the scale of it is what I would say is more significant in 1 Kings chapter 22. Uh, you have King Ahab, who is, should be a name that you recognize as not a good king. But in this chapter 22 of 1 Kings, you have 
kings of the north and the south are consulting, and the Assyrian king, I believe it's Nebuchadnezzar, I could be mistaken, but they are surrounded, and once again, they are in trouble, and they're going to be going into to exile. And these two kings gather together, and King Jehoshaphat says, inquire first for the word of the Lord before we go out into this battle that you would like to go into. You know, let's, let's get some prophecy. What does the Lord have to say about this? <clears throat> and in verse 6 of Kings, 1 Kings 22, it says, Then the king of Israel gathered the prophets together, about 400 men, and said to them, Shall I go to battle against Ramoth Gilead, or shall I refrain? And they said, Go up, for the Lord will give it into the hand of the king. So he calls 400 prophets, and they say, Go for it. But King Jehoshaphat's like, uh, is there anybody else that we can maybe talk to? Um, just in case. And King Ahab says, well, there's this guy, Micaiah, but he never says anything nice about me. I don't, let's, do I really have to? He says, yeah, let's, let's talk, let's, let's hear from him. And Micaiah tells him the truth. He comes and you're not going to, this isn't going to go well for you. And he even goes into detail and says, God has intervened with these 400 prophets and caused them to speak falsely to you in judgment for you. He is going to, he used these prophets to cause judgment to fall on your head. Do you have that instance, 400 false prophets in that instance, saying the Lord will give him success in battle, and it's all not true. And you have God working, it specifically tells us God worked in that situation to bring that to fruition. Another instance, Ezekiel 13, you have God condemning the false prophets of Ezekiel's day. And if you, if you read through Ezekiel 13, the thing that, you'll, that kept jumping out at me in that passage was that they prophesy out of their own hearts. They are not speaking what the Lord would have them say. Rather, it is of their own hearts. And there is a common theme as I was thinking back through these, and by no means is this like an exhaustive list of all the false prophets in the Old Testament. <laughs> but they often are happening they're getting false prophecies when they are under the judgment of God. When God is getting ready to punish them and they have people come to them and say, hey, what should we do? And they have liars come to them. People who come and speak falsely to them, telling them what they wanted to hear. And so this, in verse one of chapter two, he says, but false prophets also arose among the people. Right? You're going to, he's saying you're going to have false prophets in much the same way as they had it. Right? There will be judgment that is coming as you continue on in the book of Second Peter. It, there's speak of judgment. And there will be false prophets in the midst of that as that's going on. So in a parallel to that Old Testament, 
false prophets, you will experience the same thing. He links the false teachers at that time of his writing with the false prophets in the Old Testament accounts. And you had, during Jesus' ministry, he spoke several times about the appearance of false prophets. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 through 20, he says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. So he's giving this warning of false prophets to come, and he's giving this description of what they're going to look like. They come to you in sheep's clothing. This description of they look good, they sound good, they have this appearance of goodness, right? That's what it means to be in sheep's clothing. They're dressed up, they look nice, they play the part, they, they are in disguise. But he says you will recognize them by their fruits. It is what is the outcome? He says it's not possible for them to bear good fruit. And it was much the same way with those prophets of the Old Testament that I was looking through, right? So these kings call these prophets to tell them what to, what to do, and they tell them what they want to hear, right? They're like, yeah, sounds great. That's what I'd like to hear, and you said it, right? Wolves in sheep's clothing. Again, in, in Matthew chapter 24, verse 11, Christ says, and many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. So these false prophets, they come. It says they arise, so they, they gain positions. And ultimately, they lead people away. Again, the fruit, as Christ said in chapter 7. What is the fruit of it? They, they lead people away from the truth, not towards it. <clears throat> In Second John, verse 7, he gives a description there. Where he says, For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. So it's, one trait of this, this false teacher is that they, they do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Right? They would deny that Christ came to earth, that he was a man. So they denied Jesus. Again, in Acts chapter 13... Verses 6 through 12, this gives us an account. It says, When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence, 
who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elymas, the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. So you have this man here. Paul says, You are full of all deceit and villainy. And he says, Will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? This intention to deceive, to, to take people away from God, to make crooked the straight paths. This misleading. So they take people away. Get back here. Peter, back in the second Peter chapter two, in that still in that first verse, says, "Just as there will be false teachers among you, right? All these instances are people within these groups who are mixed in with them." And it says in the next phrase there, it says, "Who will secretly bring in destructive heresies?" It sounds good. They seem nice. It is not blatantly obvious that they are false teachers. Um, the outcome of their lies is destruction. It is death. It is hell. And they are covert about it. It is done in secret, right? They don't wear a name tag that says, I'm a false teacher. I'm a false prophet. But they have a certain outcome. As in Matthew chapter 7, where said, Jesus said, you will know them by their fruit. And these are destructive heresies. It was interesting studying through this. That word heresies is actually, if I remember correctly, it is the word that is commonly used as sect is translated there. And so Paul was a sect of the Jews, he says in Acts. So you have this descriptor of what these heresies are. So if, if you were to read heresies as sect, it would say a destructive sect. They are a separate group whose nature is destruction. Henceforth, they are heresies. They, they are lies that are untrue of which the fruit is destruction. The outcome of those lies is destruction. It is death. It is hell. And the next phrase there, he says, even denying the master who bought them. So they don't rightly uphold Christ. Much like that passage in 
Second John said it, this is where he said, they deny that Christ has come in the flesh. They deny the master who bought them. And there is even, I like that he has the word master in there, right? You, you study through the book of Romans and, and you see that you are either a slave to sin or you are a slave to Christ. So Christ is either your master or sin is your master. He's saying if you are in Christ, Christ is your master. He has bought you. How did Christ buy you? He bought you with his blood on the cross. And they would deny that. So they deny the one they falsely claim to serve. Because even in the midst of denying Christ, they still claim some association with Christ. It is still mixed in there somewhere. There's... Like John said, they may be denying that Christ is actually the Lord. They may be denying that he actually came in the flesh. But it's this twisting. And he says the result of this is they bring upon themselves swift destruction. So those who set themselves against God set themselves up for failure. It is not a winning position. And there may be the appearance of winning at first, right? They may have the Ferrari. They may have the big mansion. They may have the beautiful house, the beautiful wife. They may have all the things that the world says are winning, but their end is destruction. They set up for failure. That reminder, Deuteronomy 18.20, gives the punishment for a false prophet. And there it says, if they prophesy and it does not come true, the right punishment is death. Because they claim to speak for God, and they obviously don't. They are blaspheming God. And he says in verse 2, Many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of the truth will be blasphemed. So they prefer pervert God's good gift of sex and use it to draw others in. So instead of living in obedience to Christ and his word, they pursue the lusts of the flesh. And rather becoming more like Christ, they embrace their sinful desires. And these things... They are claiming to represent Christ as they do these things, is what Peter's telling us. And that causes outsiders to blaspheme the name of Christ. We touched on this this morning in Sunday school class in Romans 2.22, I think, or about there, where this is mentioned, right? So claiming to be a representative of Christ and yet living this false teacher, this sinful, lying lifestyle causes the name of Christ to be blasphemed because those who are looking in from the outside are saying, well, this guy says he's a Christian, but he's doing worse things than I am, honestly. Like, 
who are these Christians, right? Well, that's, they're terrible people, right? He causes the name of Christ to be blasphemed because they don't know that they are a false teacher. It is not obvious, once again. Causes the truth of Jesus' victory over sin to be blasphemed. It's a stark contrast to the instructions given to believers by Peter in 1 Peter chapter 2, which we, we went through 1 Peter's our last go-around. But in 1 Peter 2, 11 and 12 are the instructions for believers. It says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. <clears throat> Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So you have this picture of the false teachers that Peter's talking about in 2 Peter doing the exact opposite of what his instructions in 1 Peter were. And he says in verse 3 that in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. So they take advantage of believers, maybe for their own financial gain. Maybe they exploit the wealth of others. Their motivation is not a love of the truth, but rather a love of money. And he says their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. Saying judgment awaits these false teachers, that God is not asleep. There will be a day of reckoning for all who are not in Christ. They will be held to account. Maybe you won't see it in this lifetime, but there will be a day of judgment, and they will be held accountable for it. So the things that Peter's describing to his audience were happening. We have the account in Acts. And he's saying these things... Keep an eye out for these things. You're going to be seeing them. And they are happening in our day. We have false teachers among us today. But this served as a warning to be on guard for those Christians in the first century. And I was thinking, it was, it's easy to say that there are groups like, we can look at Mormons, or we can look at Jehovah's Witness, and we can say, yes, they are false teachers. They... They don't hold up Christ as who Scripture says he is. But that's not really who Peter's addressing here. It's not obvious is what he's saying. He's almost, it sounds like he's saying these false teachers are mixed in to the church. They are in with you. Right, they, like I said, they don't walk around with a name tag that says false teacher. Like, hey. I'm a liar. Um, but we have traits that we, that we saw. I was thinking back on those Old Testament accounts, and some of those traits that I saw going through there was you had Balaam, who was the prophet for hire, right? He's in it for the money. And then you have Hananiah, who contradicts God's word. He goes against what God says. And then you had those 400 false prophets of King Ahab. They were yes men. They were just saying whatever the king wanted to hear. 
the prophets during Ezekiel's day, it said that they prophesied out of their own hearts, that God was not the source of their prophecy, but they were, their own hearts were. And so I was thinking a common analogy that I've come across before. My wife and I have talked about this, but when you are trying to spot counterfeit money, right? They don't, they don't teach those who are looking for counterfeit money every single way that a bill can possibly be counterfeited. They teach them this is what the real thing is. Here are the, become intimate with this currency. Learn everything about it. And then you can spot the fakes. They can identify the features of the real thing and they have an intimate knowledge of the real thing and then they can tell whether it's counterfeit or if it is authentic. So in much the same way, believers need to know the scriptures. I think that is the tie-in from the end of the first chapter when he's talking about you have the scriptures, you have the inspired word of God, and then he goes into false prophets. You need to know the scriptures so that when false prophets come, when false teachers come, you have a standard by which to judge them. So you know the scriptures, you know Christ, who is revealed in those scriptures in an intimate manner. And when I say intimate, I don't mean that Jesus is your boyfriend. I mean that if you are a believer, you need to know him. But not just know of him, but you need to know him well, as the scriptures tell us of him. And that the scriptures are where Jesus is revealed to us, and that we need we need to be sure to be spending time getting to know Jesus in the scriptures better and guarding from false teachers is what I would take from this, this passage, that link between the false teachers and the inspired word of God in the previous chapter is you spot the counterfeit by knowing what the real thing is. So know Jesus well. Lord, I thank you for this opportunity to share. Um, we thank you for your word that is inspired of you. Help us to know Jesus better. Help us to not be deceived. Help us not to be deceivers. Um, in Jesus' name, amen. Turn your hymnals. Going to sing the first and second verse of hymn number one. And then we're going to have communion. Hymn number one. <clears throat> My faith has found a resting place, not in device nor creed. I trust the ever-living one, his wounds for me shall plead. I need no other argument, I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died, and that he died for me. Enough for me that Jesus saves, 
This ends my fear and doubt. A sinful soul, I come to him. He'll never cast me out. I need no other argument. I need no other
sat together having the supper of the Lord while they were eating. Jesus took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, Take, eat, this is my body. Eat the olive. Lord, as we consider not just the broken body, but the bloodshed that would remove our sin. For without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. We're grateful that you shed your blood to cleanse us from our sin. It allows us to be in a relationship with you. And we're so grateful for this. And we're grateful that you shared this with us in the scriptures. To share this by remembering you with the juice for the body and the and, uh, blood of Christ. So we pray that as we do this, we might do this in a way that we rejoice in what you've done, are excited for what you've done for us and your love for us, and that we love you. In Christ, your Son's name. Amen. <coughs>
same night. He took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is the, my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sin. Drink ye all of it. It says that uh, when they had finished this, they sung a hymn, went out. So we're going to stand and sing, Thank you, Lord, and go out. Thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. Thank you, Lord, for making me whole. Thank you, Lord, for giving to me. 